Uh, today's reading is going to be Revelation 19:11 to 21, which is on page 1248. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and rages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one else knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an, with an iron scepter. He treads the wine, the wine press of fury and wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to, gather together to rage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with the false prophet who had performed the signs on his behalf, with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulphur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Thank you, Will. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Madhush. Please do keep your Bibles open up there to Revelation 19, page 1,248. I'm going to pray as we begin and ask God to work in us as we listen to his words. Oh, God, you have said that your word is alive and active Sharper than any double-edged sword, it cuts to the core of our being, judging our thoughts and our inner motivations. May we not be found wanting. In your abounding grace, show us Jesus and give us faith to turn in repentance and follow him. Amen. Well, our series is titled, Don't Be Afraid. Those are Jesus' words from chapter 1. Don't fear those who attack you uh, or the harm that they can do to you. Don't be afraid. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Now, I faced a trio of enemies for a year in primary school. Somehow, I ended up on their wrong side. Uh, now, individually, they were not all that intimidating. They were fairly regular kids. But the trouble is, there were three of them. 
And somehow I would keep on getting into fights with them, and three on one, I would lose every single time. Now, that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the fear. You see, I would be stressed going into school every day. Whatever I did, they would be there to poke fun at me or to provoke me. Now, I knew that I could have appealed to an authority figure. Of course, at the time, I was just scared that it would make matters worse. I knew that I shouldn't be afraid of them, but that did not make the fear go away. Now, you might think as a grown-up, I'm done with all of that, that the childish fears have been put away. But strangely, the older I've become, the more fears I have gathered. Classroom bullies are no longer the main thing, but they are bigger and scarier dangers all around us. You see, we've seen through Revelation that those who follow Jesus face terrifying opponents, opponents who, who wield real power. They can deal devastating blows to us. Don't be afraid sounds good, but my heart needs a lot more persuading. Uh, do you remember the first few chapters of this book? They describe what the church faces during this age. We are attacked by persecution, deceptive teaching, and the attraction of worldly pleasures. The great enemy that we face is the dragon. He's described as that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Now, at the end of chapter 12, we're told how during this age he wages war against those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. This is no joke. There is real danger. And he's not alone. His allies do his dirty work. You might remember the beast. He's given the power and the authority of the dragon. He attacks churches through persecution. You see, the beast represents the economic, political, military might of the state in opposition to God. And then there's the false prophet. The false prophet deceives people into worshiping the beast through its teaching. It represents all the false belief systems and philosophies of the world. And then last week, we spent a lot of time looking at the great prostitute Babylon. She seduces us through worldly pleasures. Wealth, comfort, sensual delights, the things that lure us into compromise. Well, let's be honest. Those are dangers that we face daily living and working in London. And none of us are here for the weather or for the great beaches. We're here for the money. We're here for the safety, the luxuries, the power, and all the conveniences that money can buy us. There's an economic, political, military complex that is looming over us. 
It keeps us safe and it rewards us when we stay in line. But challenge it and you will be pushed into obscurity and hardship. I'm sure you feel that pressure at work every day. Uh, then there are the stories that we're told about the world and how it works, which feed our fear and our greed. They deny God's truth. So if you're anything like me, you know how hard it is. It is a battle to hold on to the truth about Jesus and to follow him when everything around us is pushing us in another direction. Through Revelation, God has been showing us that Jesus is the risen and reigning Lord. He rules. He's the one who's in control of history. The dragon and his allies are terrifying opponents. They cause great suffering. They are real and they affect our lives. But Jesus has won the decisive victory at the cross. At chapter 5, verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, has conquered. He is worthy. He rules as the conquering king, and he will come again to finally judge and to do away with all of those enemies. Remember just back to last week, we saw the great prostitute Babylon conquered. This week, it's the turn of the beast and the false prophet to be thrown into the lake of fire. And next week, we'll see in chapter 20 that the dragon himself will be conquered. The conquering king will come in judgment. Now, it is really important that we get that because that is where we find our security. That is how we respond to fear. That's how we live victoriously during this age. And so, our first point from chapter 19, the passage that was just read to us, Jesus is the conquering king. If you want to see real power and real truth, look here. This is where you'll find it. Uh, look with me at verse 11. Uh, John, who's writing this, uh, sees this. This is what he says. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. Now, we've come across that color white right through Revelation, and it speaks of purity. In chapter 7, God's faithful people wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Here in this chapter, in verse 8, white clothes represent both the righteousness and the final reward for all of those who have persevered through persecution. See, what this image is trying to communicate to us is that Jesus is the conquering king on his horse, ready for battle. He is the righteous one. He is radiating purity. His judgments are pure and just. And he is faithful and true to his promises. He will judge the wicked. 
that there is no one who is going to get away with it. He will make it clear to everyone that he fights on the side of his people. He's here to wage war, to wipe out all that is evil from his creation. And as you read these verses, you probably remember these descriptions of Jesus from earlier on in the book. The point they're making is simply that Jesus is God's king who rules with all God's power and authority. Speaking of the strength of his rule, verse 15 quotes Psalm 2, where God appoints his son as his regent, as the king of his kingdom. And those who run to him for refuge are safe. But the kings of the earth who plot against him are dashed to pieces like pottery. But this text goes even further. Jesus, the conquering king, the captain of the armies of heaven, the righteous judge, is God himself. Did you spot that as you read this? In verse 13, he is the word of God. Now you might know from John's gospel and his letters that the Word, who was with God in the beginning, is God himself. In verse 16, he's described as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Make no mistake who we are gazing at here. The King who rides out in judgment is the God of heaven and earth. To him, belongs all power and authority. There is no one greater. There is none more powerful. There is no one who is better suited to execute God's judgment. No one who can rule for God but him. Do you see it? Do you realize what we're looking at? And take a look down with me at verse 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. That's a terrifying image. The conquering king comes to judge the nations. And the weapon of his judgment is Jesus' word of truth. Now, I don't know about you, but that's really striking to me because it is the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. And the gospel is the way God makes himself known to us. It's how God holds out life. He offers forgiveness and cleansing to those who come to him. To those who gather to his banner, we become witnesses of who he is. And yet that same message, if it is rejected, brings judgment. Reject the lamb, reject his cleansing blood, and you remain guilty of the highest treason. If his blood doesn't flow, yours must. He treads the winepress of the fury of God's wrath. 
That is a horrifying image from Isaiah 63. And it's repeated again at the end of chapter 14. That is why his robe is dipped in blood. It is the blood of those who face his judgment. Now let's be clear here. This is not like a person who is pushed and pushed and then suddenly flies into a rage. God is not disproportionate or unfair. God's wrath is a settled hostility to human wickedness, to all that is evil. It's patient. It's measured. It's fair. It is the just consequence for the wickedness that pits us against the loving, compassionate King of Kings. And it is a course correction for our fear. We fear the dragon. We fear the beast, intimidating powers that would harm us. We fear suffering. We fear the loss of our possessions, the loss of our lifestyle. We fear death. Revelation is saying to us, look at Jesus. See him. Let him fill your vision. See his blazing purity. Because then you will fear his wrath, not anything else. That's what the faithful do. If you just flip back the page to uh, chapter 19, verse 5, uh, his loyal servants celebrate his victory. They're gathering for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is what they're commanded. Praise our God, all you his servants. You who? Fear him, both great and small. That's where faith carries us. Look at Jesus. Because when you do, you will see real power and real truth. And it is in fearing him that we find wisdom and safety for this life. Well, Jesus is the conquering king. The second and final point is that his enemies will be crushed. The false power of the beast and the deceptive teaching of the false prophet will be shown for what they are. Though they muster all their power and wisdom, it will come to nothing against the king of kings. You see, there's a, there's a great supper that's been spoken about in verse 17, and that is just a parody of the marriage supper of the Lamb in verse 9. Here, those who feast are birds, carrion birds, vultures, and the like. They gather, they're swarming in the skies to feast on the corpses of God's enemies. This is what kings and generals and all the mighty come to. How is it that we crave that sort of fleeting power? How foolish are we? And do you see how no one escapes, verse 18? Whether you're great or small, 
everyone falls to the same fate. The point here is that Jesus' final victory is sure. He has already won the decisive battle at the cross. The war is as good as won. He is going to sweep onto the battlefield and wipe out every last pocket of resistance. And so from verse 19, the armies are gathered. Now on one side you have the beast with the kings of the earth and their armies. On the other is the rider on the white horse, followed by the armies of heaven. The armies are lined up. And this is all the hallmarks of an epic battle. Can you visualize it? See, I'm reminded of the Battle of Helm's Deep from the Lord of the Rings. The good guys are in a hopeless situation. They've taken cover in an ancient fortress, but they're facing a horde, an overwhelming enemy. When the fortress is breached, it feels like all hope is lost. They charge out for a desperate final stand. And then on the horizon, hope appears. A rider on a white horse. And behind him is a great army. And they charge in to the rescue. That's where we are at the end of verse 19. We're waiting for the spectacular clash before absolute mayhem ensues. We're waiting for it. But this is not a contest of equals. Do you see where we get to when we get to verse 20? It, it looks as if God's people are hard-pressed, like they are outnumbered and outgunned. That's our experience in this life. But that is only because we are looking at part of the picture. When you expand the frame, you suddenly see who is at the head of our ranks. The king himself. There is no contest. There is no spectacular clash. There is no ebb and flow as the army is engaged. Your heart isn't beating wondering who is going to win this. The king fights for his people. Do you see that it is only his sword that is unsheathed? And he conquers his enemies in a moment. Like that. Look at verse 20 with me. The armies are lined up. They're about to clash. And suddenly, the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. It's a horrifying image. But do you see how easily the beast and the false prophet, those terrifying foes, are swept away? And then the birds feast on all the wicked who raged against the king and tormented his people. Justice is finally served. 
worldly powers, the clues in the name, are powerful. They terrify us. Because we cannot fight them in our own strength. There is real power there. You get a prime minister who suddenly decides to advance an ambitious mini-budget. We're still feeling the pain. Try stand against that. But when it is a government that attacks Christians, who is opposed to the living God, the suffering that Christians experience is excruciating. Similarly, the world's ideas sound persuasive, but they are lies that trick us into empty spirituality and foolishness dressed up as wisdom. We need to see such power with the conquering king in the frame. So you go back to the Battle of Helm's Deep, and it looks hopeless. There, there's no chance for those defenders in the fortress. Until you expand the frame and you see the rider on the white horse with an army charging in. Here's another way of visualizing that. I've got a piece of obsidian here. It's quite black. I don't know if you can tell. You can come take a look later if you want to. When you put it next to other black stuff, it makes it look grayish because of how black this is. But there is this super dark pigment called vantablack. It's made of carbon nanotubes, and it absorbs 99.9% .9 of visible light. So when you apply it to a 3D object, it makes it look like a 2D surface, like there's nothing there. Put my obsidian next to that, suddenly this doesn't look so black anymore. That's what's going on here. When, through God's word, we expand the frame so that we see the conquering king, puts other powers in perspective. Stand in the shadow of the beast, absolutely terrifying, you've got no shot. Stand in the shadow of the beast and you see the conquering king next to you, it changes everything. On their own, they're impressive and terrifying. Next to the conquering king, they are hollow and deceptive and they will be decisively crushed. Don't end up on the wrong side of God's justice on that day. Well, friends, how then should we live? God's truth, the message of the gospel, is the instrument of his judgment. But it is also the only hope for a lost and dying world. Through Revelation, Jesus calls his church to be victorious. He calls us to live as people who have won. We live victoriously by following Jesus, by holding on to his truth. 
Let me remind you of these words from chapter 12. This is the conflict between the dragon and God's people. And the church, Jesus' faithful followers, we are called to triumph over the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. It says of the church, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Do you see how we fight in this battle? We don't need to gather economic or political power to ourselves. We don't need strong men. We don't need to outmarket the world's ideas. Instead, all that we do is we look to our king, the rider on the white horse, who has washed us clean. He fights. All that we do is point to him through upright lives and bold gospel words. That's our job. That's how we fight. That's how we live victoriously. Our testimony is our weapon. And so, friends, as we, as we look at this pic picture, I hope you are captivated by it. And I hope it makes you long for the return of the conquering king. Because that day of his final victory is the day of our victory. It is the day that all evil will finally be defeated and wiped out of God's creation. But until that day, don't stop talking about him. That's what he calls us to do. Please join me as we pray. Gracious God, will you give us eyes to perceive reality as it is through your word, to see the whole frame? And seeing Jesus, the conquering king, will you put our fears to rest? Father, please, will you clothe us with your purity so that we live victoriously? Give us courage to be bold and consistent witnesses of Jesus. May we not love our lives so much that we shrink from death. Amen.